So we're in a second message in the series, Rethink Jesus. And the genesis kind of for this really started when I was kind of on this little medical hiatus because of some impromptu surgery that I had. And I want to talk to you today again about Jesus Christ and who he is. Last week we talked about the resurrection and is it real and why can we believe it. And then today I want to talk about did Jesus say that he was God. In our culture, a lot of people are trying to redefine Jesus, either through music or art or movies or culture. Uh, through other world religious people are trying to redefine God but, or Jesus Christ. But the great claim of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ rose again. And the greatest name in the Christian faith is Jesus Christ. Author Tim LaHaye said this, Almost everyone who has heard of Jesus has developed an opinion about him. He is to be expect, this is to be expected, for he is not only the most famous person in world history, but he's the most controversial Go to the other end of the spectrum, H.G. Wells said this. He said, I am an historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Isn't that amazing for a non-believer to say that Jesus Christ is the center of history. He goes on to finish and says, Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Well, everybody's trying to redefine Jesus. Matter of fact, with the plethora of kind of religious-based movies and TV dramas that you've seen or are watching now, be careful because in it, everyone tries to redefine Jesus. The Last Temptation of Christ tried to redefine Jesus as struggling with his own kind of deity. The Passion of the Christ embraced the, the humanity part and the suffering part, but really kind of spiritualized the resurrection instead of a, a literal bodily resurrection. Everybody tries to throw in, even good folk in good movies, tries to throw in their own little kind of view of who Jesus is. Now, there's a lot of names in the Bible that are given to Jesus Christ. There's three that I just kind of want to throw out, and these are the most common. Uh, Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite, and Clayton's going to be speaking on that subject next week. Son of God, which is kind of what we, the church, use all the time. Jesus Christ, Son of God. Jesus Christ, Son of God. And that's kind of our kind of line, and it's very biblical as well. But then Jesus... One of his favorite names for himself was Messiah. Now that's very fitting because his audience was, was a Jewish audience primarily. He would occasionally, or he would talk to Gentiles as well, but it was a very uh, Jewish audience that he was trying to reach. And so Messiah was a name that certainly kind of connected and related to their world. Now, names in the Bible are really unique. They not only tell us who you are or identify you, but they tell you what you're like. For example, Adam's name means earth. And that's very fitting because Adam was the first man on the earth. The name Isaac in the Bible means laughter in the Hebrew. And that's very fitting if you know the story because God sent an angel, a messenger to Go tell Abraham that he was, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 and that at a year from now, a 100-year-old man would help a 90-year-old woman conceive and have a child. Well, everybody laughed. I'd have a heart attack, but everybody else laughed. 
And so Isaac's name means laughter. Well, when you come to the names of Jesus Christ, for example, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I mean, pastor after pastor has preached through that through Christmas because that tells us not only who Jesus is, but he tells us what he's like. He's a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So today I kind of want to look at this phrase Messiah, or this name Messiah, because that's the name that Jesus readily claimed, but that's the name that the Muslims and the Jews and other folks will really try to distance themselves from or try to explain away the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. So now let's make sure we understand the terms correctly. Because I found out this week that if you don't understand the terms correctly, you can make a mess of things. Thursday night, I cooked dinner for my wife. The pioneer woman and I made meatloaf. Meatloaf. It's definitely above my pay grade to make meatloaf. But I, I got the ingredients out and I, got, I put four eggs in a little cereal bowl. And then it said, beat the eggs. Beat the eggs. Now, in my world with two brothers and being on a wrestling team and in sport, beat has a whole different connotation than what the pioneer woman has. My definition was that I had no idea what beat the eggs meant. So I looked at the eggs and she wasn't helping me out on her video. And I looked at those eggs and I thought, well, beaten means smash. So I got one of them whisk things that I seen my wife use. And I held that, I held that bowl of eggs. I just started going boom, 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 boom. Eggs started flying everywhere. I'm just saying if you don't understand the terminology in its right context, you can make a mess of stuff. And so let's make sure we understand what we're talking about. The equivalent of the Hebrew word for Messiah is Mashach. I didn't say that name right, but it just simply means anointed. The Greek word is Christos, from which we get Christ, which means anointed. They're the same, it's the same thing, it's just in two different languages, the first being Hebrew and the second being Greek. And so when Jesus claimed to be he was saying, I'm the Messiah. When he was saying, I am Jesus Christ, Christos, I'm the anointed one. I'm the Messiah. It, it's talking about the same thing. Let me see if I can illustrate it from a whole different genre. If you were to take red and, and uh, the other color, I forgot the other color. If you were to take red and green, all right? If you were to take red and green, by the way, in John chapter 1 and verse 41, before we leave this whole thing, when the first disciples, the first thing Andrew did was he found his brother Simon Peter, and he told him, we have found the Messiah. He used the Hebrew word, but then he also said, that is the Christ. He used the Greek word. Understand, it's, we're talking about one and the same. See if I can illustrate it from the world of art now that I kind of got my notes regrouped here. If you were to take this color right here, bing, green, 
Wait, wait, back up one before you do that. Oh, I hope it comes through. Nothing's coming up on the screen? Oh, man. See, there should be a big green circle, and there should be a big red circle. And when you mix red and green, you get a certain color. Now, in Spanish, they would say Amirio. In French, they would say Jean. In German, and I hope I get this right, man. I thought it was really cool. Glip. But it's all talking about the same thing. There should be a big yellow circle. Just use your imagination. There should be a big yellow circle right in the middle of that. We're talking about the same thing. So when we talk about Messiah, Jesus is pulling this word from the Hebrew into the current culture of the day. It means anointed one, set apart from the first century Jew, clearly understood that Christ the Messiah were the words talking about the same thing. They both meant the anointed one or the anointing. And what significance is the anointing? Well, the Oxford Companion to the Bible states that in the Hebrew Bible, the term most often is used of kings whose investiture, when they were crowned or coronated as king, was marked by the pouring or the anointed of oil. It was also used as for the high priest, and it was also used for some prophets. This idea that someone was anointed, they were set apart for specific service. Therefore, the Old Testament Jews believed that when Jesus the Messiah came, he would not be God himself come to earth, but he would be a man anointed, set apart for a specific service. He would be a political figure of unknown origin who would perform an abundance of signs, born in Bethlehem of the family of David, and he would be lifted up on the throne of Jerusalem. That Messiah, their Messiah, the Christ of Judaism, that's what they were looking for. The anointed one was a political figure, not a spiritual figure. And so... That's what the Jews were looking for. But the Bible paints a clearly different picture. The Bible states that Jesus is the Messiah. At the birth of Jesus Christ, the angels sang, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. This is out of the King James. The Savior, which is Christ the Lord. If you have an NIV Bible, New International Version, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is the Messiah. Same concept. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. And, and then he went on to claim that he was not only the Messiah, but he was sent from God. And this whole concept of, of being Messiah and the Christ was huge. His disciples were just starting to get it in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16. They were kind of off having some private time and Jesus asked him a very kind of interrogating question he said who do people say that I am and some said well you're Isaiah and some say you're Elijah some say you're another prophet but then he looks right at them and he says but who do you say that I am Peter cleared his throat and said you are the Messiah the son of the living God if you have a King James Bible it says you are the Christ the son of the living God it is the same context that Jesus Christ is the anointed, holy, righteous, pure, sinless Son of God Almighty. But did Jesus claim to be the Messiah? Because 
If you debate philosophers or you talk with other folks or Muslims, they will tell you that Jesus never, never made that claim. I would say that he made it quite frequently. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. You probably know the first part of the Gospel of John very well. You probably don't know the last part of the Gospel of John at all. The first part of the Gospel of John is where Jesus gave that great discourse on how he's the good shepherd, and we all know that and love that. But the end of John, chapter 10, verses 22 through 29, Jesus is in Jerusalem at the Feast of the Dedication, more commonly known today as the Feast of Lights. It's an eight-day celebration in the winter, in our December, in honor of the renovation and the purification of the Jerusalem temple around 164 B.C. when the Maccabean warriors and the Maccabean fighters led a revolt and kind of for a time came and held off Rome's armies. It was a time punctuated with uh, not so much spiritual talk but political talk. It was like CNN and Fox all rolled into one kind of eight-day gathering. And the question was, when would the Messiah come? When would the Messiah come and deliver his people? And that prompted the question in John chapter 10 and verse 24. And the Jews who were gathered around him outside the temple, Solomon's colonnade, they said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah... Tell us plainly. Now, he's probably about halfway through his earthly ministry. He hasn't hid anything, and he's told them already that he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, but yet they said, we're dying of suspense here. Help us out, please. Tell us straight out. Jesus answered, I did tell you. Matter of fact, I, if I understand kind of the terminology and the phraseology in the Greek, is it's almost like being a parent. I told you over and over and over and over and over and over. I told you. I did tell you. I did tell you what? That I'm the Messiah. But you didn't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, and he goes on. They said, tell us if you were in the Messiah. And he said, I already have. And then he points to kind of two areas that kind of validate that he is who he says he is. The Christ of heaven, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. By the way, the Jews didn't refute this claim. Look at verse 25. He said, I, I did tell you. He's referring to the somebody of his teaching." He said, I, I've taught publicly and openly. And Paul would say the same thing. Matter of fact, every, almost every world religion, from Hindu on, well, would acknowledge, even the Muslims acknowledge that Jesus is a prophet, that he's a good man, that his teachings are good. They, they'll say he's not the Messiah. But his teachings are good. What he taught moralistically is good. What he taught about himself, yeah, we'll just kind of overlook that part. But, but they embraced his teaching, and the Jews did too. I mean, the Jews never argued with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. The, the Jews never 
struggled with serve others before you serve yourself, turn the other cheek. Jesus challenged just about the whole Levitical dietary law found in the book of Leviticus when he said, listen, it's not what you put into a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of you that defiles you. He said, love your neighbors yourself, forgive others if you've been forgiven. He said, destroy this temple, his body. Jesus said it in three days. I'll raise it up. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In the parable of the vineyard in Mark chapter 12, Jesus teaches that he was God, not just another prophet. John chapter 5, he said he would raise the dead and judge them one day. In uh, Mark chapter 2, he talks about how he had the power to forgive sin. And he did this openly. He didn't do it behind closed doors. They heard it and they knew it. The issue wasn't knowledge. The issue was belief. Jesus, Messiah's teachings were powerful, fresh, and they were life-changing. And it's a message that is still good today. He didn't hide who he was. John chapter 10, or Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 says, For the Son of Man, his favorite description of himself, came to seek and to save that which is lost. You could just as easily put, For the Messiah has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The most famous Bible verse that most of us know by heart, John 3, 16. But verses 17 and 18 are great. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. In the King James, it says only begotten. Now, a Muslim will say that this is, you know, we're all sons. If you believe in, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of God, then we're all sons and daughters of God. That is true. However, this word begotten, the one and only, describes a uniqueness of kind and a uniqueness of relationship. In other words, Jesus is unlike any other person, and unlike any other person, he has this very unique relationship with God the Father. And then he goes on and says, And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He says, whoever doesn't believe is condemned already, but whoever does believe... You just finished reading it, all right? Son, my job as the Messiah is to seek and to save that which is lost. That's part of his teaching. See, you you cannot go around saying, I believe Jesus was a good moral person. If he's not the Messiah, then he's a bald-faced liar. If he's not the Messiah, he's a crazy person. Honestly, if anyone in this room stood up right now and said, Pastor, I got a testimony. Really have something God's laid on my heart that he wants all of us to know. Well, probably I'm not going to let you have the floor, but if you were persistent, then you would stand up and you would say, I am the Messiah. Well, you know what we all would do? If you're sitting in this section over here, everybody would just start sliding away. The ushers would stand like, "Uh uh-oh, trouble is going to happen. We wouldn't believe it. Matter of fact, I, I, I don't fault the Jews for their struggle. 
I said, the suspense is killing us. Tell us if you're the Messiah. Jesus said, I am. You've heard me teach. You, you know that I've got an authority like, like none other. Then he pointed him, then he pointed the Jews to his works. Look at verse 25 again in John chapter 10. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. There are so many miracles that Jesus did. Let's just hang with the gospel of John. All right? And in the gospel of John, there are seven mighty miracles that demonstrate clearly that Jesus is who he says he is. Merrill Tenney in his book, The Gospel of Belief, states that each of these seven miracles reveal something very specific about about Jesus and his power and his personhood. Each one has, each one of the miracles has a kingdom aspect to it. These are not cheap parlor tricks. They are something that tells us deeply about who Jesus is. In John chapter 2, he turns water into wine. It's the first miracle of his ministry, and it revealed himself as master over quality by affecting instantaneously the change in the vine that is produced over a period of time. In John chapter 4, he heals the nobleman's son, and by healing the boy who was more than 20 miles away from him, Jesus showed that he was the master of distance and space the healing of a very sick man in john chapter 5 man the longer disease affects the body the more difficult medicine tells us it is to cure but jesus by curing instantly a man afflicted for 38 years became a master over time the feeding of the 5,000 in john chapter 5 By multiplying five flat loaves of bread and two small fishes of a boy's lunch, it fed 5,000 men plus the women plus the children. And that showed him that he was master, he was was lord over quantity. But he walked on the water in John 6, 16 through 21. and And that miracle demonstrated his authority over natural law. You see, Jesus Christ, because he is creator, Messiah... Because he was part of the creating of all things, he has the right to supernaturally interrupt natural law to insert supernatural power in the natural realm. He is Christ, the Messiah. He heals a man born blind in John chapter 9. And the reason for the healing is what prompted Kind of the whole understanding of the miracle. Because people were going around, who sinned, this man or his parents? Why did misfortune happen to him? Was it something he did or or was it something that his parents did? And we all think that when bad things happen to us, don't we? What did I do? Is it my fault? Is it my parents' fault? I mean, whose fault is it? And Jesus just stepped in again from the supernatural, from a supernatural perspective into the natural realm, healed this man born of blindness, showing, again, that he was a master over misfortune. Then he raised in John 11 Lazarus from the dead. And the miracle indicated that he undeniably, incontrovertibly, was the master over death. In fact, he would predict his own death, his own burial, and his own resurrection, showing that he is ultimately the Lord, the Master, the Messiah over death. Those seven miracles then are preeminently signs, teachings, because they point to those aspects of Christ's ministry. Well, what did they point to? 
Well, I just kind of alluded to them. I'm going to throw them up on the screen. But their quality and distance and space and time and quality and natural law and misfortune and death. And we all struggle with those things, don't we? We all want to know when is there enough love in our marriage. You know, that quality of, of life and distance. Is God far off or is he right here? You know, how does that all whole thing work time and and quantity can god really supply my needs and what about death man some of you are struggling in your marriages and and it's man it's dying this slow death some of you are struggling in different areas of your life and it's dying this slow death and jesus christ says listen i am jesus christ the christ the messiah i have the power to breathe life back into dead or dying things He's Messiah. Well, now back to John chapter 10. What did the Jews think about all of this? Look at verse 30. Verse 30, he says, and he teaches a little bit between verse 25 and verse 30, that he says, I and the Father are one. Basically, he's saying that he and that God the Son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ and God the Father are of the same essence. Now, the view of the Trinity hadn't been developed yet, all right, because the Holy Spirit was still yet to come. And so when, they, when he said this, when he said, I am the Messiah, in verse 25, and then he says, I and the Father are one, in verse 30, did the Jews understand? They understood exactly what he was saying. The response was they picked up stones to stone him. We got to get this guy out of here. He claims to be the Messiah. We know he's walked on water. We know he's raised Lazarus from the dead. We know he fed 5,000 people. We know that he turned water into wine. We know all this stuff. Our only defense is either we're going to believe it or we're going to kill it. And they opted for killing. Matter of fact, verse 31 has an interesting statement right there at the beginning. Again, the Jew opponents, the Jewish opponents took up stones to stone him. And I got thinking again, when was the first time? Flip back to John chapter 8. It's almost the same kind of dialogue. Jesus is saying in John chapter 8 and verse 58, he said, Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews said, Oh no, you didn't. And he just looked at him like, Oh yes, I am. Because he is saying, I am. See, if you were a Jewish scholar, your mind would go back to the book of Isaiah because Isaiah was the one who talked about the coming Messiah more than just about more than any of the other prophets. He was a major Messiah proclaimer. And if you knew chapters 41 uh, through four, uh, chapters 40 through chapters 55, they all knew it was just full of messianic prophecy and messianic promises of a coming Messiah. And when he said, I am he. And John, it, they went back to Isaiah 41 and verse 4. They understood it. 
said, who has done this and carried it through, calling forth from generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am he. Didn't God, when he appeared to Moses and said, and Moses said, Moses was supposed to go back to Egypt to deliver the Israelites. And Moses said, under whose authority am I supposed to go back and tell people that I'm coming to deliver them? And God just simply said, I am. Isaiah invokes that I am languages and attaches it to the coming Messiah, that the coming Messiah would be the great I am. If you flip to verse 40 or chapter 43 and verse 13 in the book of Isaiah. And again, the Jews knew this. That's why he used the, the term Isaiah. And it should be Isaiah 43, 13, not Luke. That was my mistake. From, yes, from the ancient days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? He says, I am he. So if you go back to John chapter 8 and verse 58 and he says i am oh my goodness they understood emphatically what he was saying he was saying i am the messiah i am the son of god i am the savior of the world and what was their response they picked up stones to stone him stoning was only for one punishment or several punishments but the chiefest of which was blasphemy and the jews considered jesus a blasphemer Simply because he was telling the truth and saying, I and the Father are one. Well, when the Jews couldn't stone Jesus, they plotted to kill him. Fast forward to a trial when uh, the last Friday night of his life, before his death, burial, and resurrection, he's at the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. It's a, it's a mock trial. And he says this in Matthew chapter 26, verses 57 through 60 it says but jesus remained silent and the high priest that's capus said to him i charge you under the oath by the living god who was standing right there in front of him tell us if you are the messiah the son of god understand now the jews are now pulling together and correlating all of these ideas and teachings of christ he not only claimed to be the messiah but now I and the Father are one. You're the Son of God? And Jesus said, you have said so. Basically, it's Jesus saying in our English, in our idiomatic language today, yes, it's just as you said. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of the Mighty One coming in clouds of heaven. Again, going back to prophecy in the old testament fast forward a couple of more trials he's before Pilate in luke chapter 23 verses 1 through 4 look at verse 2 he says that they began to accuse him saying we have found this man subverting our nation now by the way they were saying he's causing riots everywhere this is the guy who said turn the other cheek this is the guy who said serve others this is the guy who said love your neighbor as yourself and here's their accusation He's subverting the nation. He opposes payment of taxes, even though Jesus taught render to Caesars. What Caesars? And I guess we're supposed to say that with April 15th right around the corner. And yet, and he claims to be the Messiah, a king. Now they're throwing this kingship idea in there. Because Jesus was. And so Pilate asked Jesus, are you king of the Jews? 
His answer is almost exactly the same as it was to Caiaphas. It's just as you said, I am he. See, so when someone claims to be God, when somebody claims to be the Messiah and the Son of God, you've got three options. You've got three options. I'm going to give them to you straight as I know how. One, you can say that guy is a bald-faced liar. Now, by the way, let's, let's don't have any misgivings here. If Jesus Christ isn't the Messiah, then he's not a good moral man. If Jesus Christ is not the Messiah, his teaching is not good. Because he propagated the biggest lie in human history. If he is not the Messiah. Or he's a lunatic. I mean, he's just this crazy guy. Or, as I often say, he is who he says he is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. But the question is, who do you think Jesus is? A, liar. B, lunatic. C, Son of God, Messiah, Jesus Christ. those are your only options. Liar, lunatic, Messiah. Jesus makes the case by his life, by his actions. He, he makes the case by his own self-teaching that, yes, he is the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the question is, who do you say that? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? That's an eternal decision that every one of us need to make. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a moment? I just simply want to challenge you to make a decision. Now, if he's a liar and you believe that with all of your heart, you don't ever have to come back here again. Because I'm going to tell you the same thing Sunday after Sunday that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. I'm not going to apologize from that, and I'm not going to back down from that. We believe that he is Jesus Messiah, the name above all names, blessed Redeemer. So if you believe that Jesus is lying, get some extra sleep next Sunday morning, live your life. If you think Jesus is a crazy person, Well, if you like hanging out with crazy people, then keep coming back. Because we believe Jesus is the Messiah. Or you can say, you know what? The evidence is pretty compelling. If he could walk on water, if he could turn water into wine, if he could feed 5,000, if he can heal a man after 38 years, if he can heal a, a nobleman's son 20 miles away, if he can raise Lazarus from the dead, there must be something to this man named Jesus. And I would just simply submit that he is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Messiah, as your Savior, as your Lord, as your, as your King, then my prayer is that in the next few moments you just simply pray this simple prayer in your heart. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Jesus Messiah. That name 
above all names. You forgive me of my sins and I invite you into my heart. And from this day forward, I want to live for you.